This is Know It All, the ABCs of Education, a platform of Allison Brown Consulting, ABC, where we empower our listeners with insightful information about equity in education. Welcome to Know It All, the ABCs of Education. We are on the air every Wednesday at 8 p.m. Eastern. Of course, you can listen to the show at any time from your computer at blogtalkradio.com forward slash knowitall, which is where you can also access the chat room during the show and follow Know It All for regular updates. I'm your host, Allison R. Brown, president of Allison Brown Consulting, ABC where we create education equity plans and promote equity in education in compliance with federal civil rights law. Our website is allisonbrownconsulting.com. There you can read our blog and subscribe to the ABC Know-It-All newsletter. If you're tweeting, follow me at Allison R. Brown and tweet about the show with the hashtag KnowItAllABC. On today's show, we're talking about attention deficit hyperactivity disorder, more commonly known as ADHD. Before we get into it, allow me to introduce my guest co-host for today, Dr. Jessica Phillips-Silver. Dr. Phillips-Silver is a regular contributor to Know It All. She's a neuroscientist, and her focus is neuroscience and healthy brain development in children. She's the owner of JPS Research and Education, and she's also an educator and a musician and a mommy. She's dedicated to studying the impacts of music and the arts on healthy brain development. Good morning, Jessica. Thanks for co-hosting Know It All today. Good morning. Good morning, Allison. Thank you for allowing me to contribute today. I wonder if you would introduce our guest today, Dr. Rachel Gao. Yes, we are very pleased uh, together to be able to welcome onto the show today Dr. Rachel Gao. Rachel is a, a researcher in neuroscience at the NIH, the National Institutes of Health. Um, Rachel has a Ph.D. in child neuropsychology and extensive work with children who have ADHD and similar behavioral disorders. In particular, Rachel is passionate about education and believes in equal access to education for all kinds of behavioral differences. And she uses neuroscience as a way to um, understand those differences and provide rationale for why uh, we need to use the science to to um, further our equity work in education. So thank you for joining us today, Rachel. No, it's my pleasure. I'm delighted to be here. Thank you for inviting me. Before we get going, although Rachel works for the National Institutes of Health in Bethesda, Maryland, I want to make sure that the audience is clear that none of her statements today may be attributed to the federal government. They are all her own statements and her own opinions. So, uh, Rachel, I'd like to start off today by just um, asking you to talk to us a little bit about what exactly is ADHD, and, um, and in addition, you, you study in particular the effects of food and nutrition on ADHD and similar behavioral disorders. So if you could explain a little bit about what is ADHD and what is the role that food and nutrition play in children who have ADHD. Yeah, of course. So ADHD is uh, referred to as a neurodevelopmental disorder. And what a neurodevelopmental disorder implies is that the growth and development of the brain or central nervous system is impaired in some way. And uh, neurodevelopmental disorders are also referred to as uh, disorders of brain function. 
because of the way that emotion, the capacity to learn, and memory are affected. Um, and often these disorders are not immediately apparent, but unfold as the, the infant grow, uh, grows. And there are many neurodevelopmental disorders, and ADHD is just one of them. So I'm going to talk a little bit about why a neurodevelopmental disorder may occur. And there are many reasons for this, mainly involving neurodevelopment um, in utero, so as the baby is developing in the womb. And um, neurodevelopment really is the processes that generate shape and reshape the, the nervous system, so right from the earliest stages of embryogenesis to the final years of life. And the process is mediated by a multitude of factors, um, including but not limited to genetic and metabolic diseases, um, immune disorders, infectious diseases, deprivation, uh, physical trauma, toxicity, and environmental factors. Um, but also, um, my focus really is on um, nutritional uh, factors. Um, so we know that ADHD is um, among the most heritable of child psychiatric neurodevelopmental uh, disorders. Um, it has a heritability of about 80%. So within families, there's an estimated three to five times greater risk of developing ADHD among first-degree relations. Mm -hmm. So what this means is if you are a parent um, with ADHD, you will have a better than 50% chance of having a child with ADHD. So 25% of children with ADHD have parents who also meet uh, the formal diagnostic criteria. Um, but it's often the case that one of the parents of a child with ADHD are actually unaware they may also have ADHD until their child is um, diagnosed. So that obviously leaves about 20%, um, which is not controlled by genetics and is influenced by other factors. And we believe that one of those factors is nutrition and it can play a major role in the development of the central nervous system. So really ADHD can be described as, a, as an epigenetic manifestation. So it's a combination of uh, genetic inheritance plus the environment. Um, we also know that the, the brain is um, the fattest organ in the body. It comprises about 70% lipid, of which about 25% um, of all neuronal membranes is made up of the omega-3 docosahexaenoic acid. And um, these omega-3 fats are rather specialized and unique um, fats um, that play critical roles throughout uh, the central nervous system, including cell signaling. They also are responsible responsible um, or assist in the regulation of both the dopaminergic and serotonergic systems in the brain. So in other words, um, the neurotransmitters that can control mood and, you know, how you feel. Um, so omega-3 fats are crucial for brain function, both the structure and the function of the brain. And my focus is um, on investigating um, how these omega-3 fats may, you know, improve alertness and concentration and uh, brain function in both children and uh, adolescents and adults with ADHD. Since you mentioned uh, factors, uh, behavioral factors like focus and attention, I'm wondering if we could take this opportunity to describe what does ADHD look like? Yeah, of course. So um, there are two kind of recognized subtypes, if you like. There's ADD, which is predominantly inattentive, and there's the hyperactive impulsive um, and also the combined subtype. And um, symptoms can be present around the age of two and three, um, but they, they're more commonly um, 
observe, you know, observed when the child starts sort of elementary school at around five, um, and um, certainly present before the age of 12. And I'm just going to briefly explain um, characteristics of the different subtypes. So in terms of the hyperactive impulsive uh, nature uh, of ADHD, these are children who have an inability to sit still for any period of time. Um, you know, sort of sitting still on a mat for story time would be almost impossible for them. So they're prone to sort of very fidgety um, behaviors. They're, you know, they, they're the child that is, you know, tapping at the desk at school, squirming, you know, very, very restless. They, they lose interest in assigned tasks really, really quickly. They have difficulty sort of following instructions. They're also prone to talking excessively, making frequent and repetitive interruptions during the conversations of others. Um, they don't, they, they, they don't have a lot of sort of boundaries in terms of, you know, uh, an appreciation of perhaps sort of what's appropriate and what's not appropriate. They will often say very inappropriate things, um, you know, which may sort of surprise other people. But they're also unable to play sort of quietly and they're sort of constantly on the go, boundless energy. Um, this is described as sort of being driven by a motor. And they're also, they're also very impulsive children. Um, and they're prone to what's called emotional dysregulation, which means that they can have quite um, unprovoked, um, huge emotional outbursts um, and not really understanding the reasons themselves for these outbursts. You know, frequently children with ADHD are incredibly remorseful afterwards, but at the time they just cannot regulate uh, their emotions. And um, this is really sort of less understood by sort of parents and teachers, and it causes a lot of frustrations. Um, but one of the other key impairments is in uh, motivation and reward responses. So children with ADHD respond very differently um, to rewards. The part of the brain um, that governs reward processes is called the ventral striatum. And uh, we have a lot of uh, dopamine-derived neurotransmitters in this section of the brain that are uh, involved in, in, in the behavioral response to rewards. So, for example, if you ask a child with ADHD if they'd like to um, and $20 today for you know doing a few jobs around the home, or if they wait until the end of the month, they could double that. They will almost always choose the smaller immediate reward as opposed to the future delayed one, and that's a highly replicated phenomenon. So just moving really quickly now to the inattentive subtype. This is the child with its head in the clouds. Um, frequently, a lot of females tend to um, have ADD as opposed to the ADHD, and uh, you know, these children have an inability to kind of pay really close attention to detail. They, they'll make careless mistakes and frequently fail to complete school and homework or really struggle to complete it. You know, they may finish, but they'll really struggle. And um, they have difficulty paying attention. Sometimes, you know, they appear not to be listening, even if you're sort of speaking to them directly. Um, these children also sort of fail to complete chores around the home. If you ask a child of ADD to tidy its room, you know, you can come back five minutes later and it's completely distracted gone off and is doing something altogether different i mean this is very common and you know they lose items that they need for everyday um everyday uh, organization and they often sort of have little or no concept of time and and this sort of general absent-minded behavior you know really just creates absolute chaos in the young person's life and um is incredibly uh, debilitating and also in in, in adults lives as well they often need a, a very efficient PA um, or, you know, wife or husband to kind of get them through. Mm -hmm. <laughs> mm -hmm. So I want to I play devil's advocate for a bit. 
Um, and, you know, there have been of late plenty of folks who have stepped forward and said, I don't believe that ADHD is a thing, right? Or um, it feels like something that's been fabricated by these pharmaceutical companies that are making so much money on the drugs that they're selling to treat ADHD. Um, and many of the symptoms that you've described, um, you know, the, the trouble staying focused, trouble sitting still, um, poor, you know, self-monitoring, sound like pretty typical five-year-old behavior. So how is it that you can distinguish between a child with ADHD and, and just any five-year-old behavior? Yeah, absolutely, and you raise a very important point. Um, a lot of children, adolescents, and adults will display these behaviors. That's not uncommon. We can all be a little bit um, ADHD, if you like, but it's the degree to which it impacts and impairs your everyday functioning. A diagnosis of ADHD is given in a chronic situation, not just because the child can't pay attention on that particular day, but over a period of time. And to get a diagnosis, um, you have to have both the parental and the school input. So in other words, that these behaviors have to occur across two um, settings, so both at home and at school. And they have to be persistent and they have to be um, chronic. I mean, there are a lot of unsubstantiated claims concerning um, the existence of ADHD. You know, two decades ago, people just thought it was some funny made-up label or name for, you know, children who were just really naughty, very naughty and just mm. defiant and oppositional. Um, but actually, if you look back in the uh, medical literature, um, arguably the first sighting of ADHD was by a German physician called Heinrich Hoffmann, who um, described uh, in a case report a young boy presenting with these symptoms. And also uh, sometime later, um, George Frederick Still, um, who was England's first professor of childhood medicine, gave a series of talks in 1902, which were published um, in The Lancet, and he described children who presented with this poor sort of uh, you know, self-control, and these children were you know, often very resistant to discipline, excessively emotional, showed very little inhibitory um, control. And, and, and arguably, kind of um, the symptoms he described back then really do capture the cluster of symptoms associated with the condition we know as ADHD today. So it's all about severity, um, symptoms on a spectrum, and you know, in order to get a diagnosis, they have to be chronically you know, impairing the child and also creating chaos within the family as well. So I think we have to be really um, careful um, when we um, speak about um, potential sort of myths um, uh, surrounding ADHD. Um, th there aren't just accusations that, you know, people seem to uh, consider ADHD as kind of some sort of a psychiatric label, you know, that will uh, benefit the kind of pharmaceutical industry. Um, there are all sorts of notions, and a lot of them arguably are sort of based on ignorance and, and need falsifying. I mean, um, there was a case in the in the 70s where um, children, uh, parents of children uh, or young adults with schizophrenia were accused of being 
um, cold parents and as a result, you know, these young men suddenly develop schizophrenia. Of course, that was completely falsified. But there are some people who think ADHD is the result of inadequate parenting practices mm. or perhaps these children have just, you know, simply watched too much television or it's because they're poor, you know, uh, low socioeconomic status or perhaps because they're a single parent. All of these are myths. There's absolutely no compelling evidence to suggest any of these factors play a role, in a predominant role in the, in the development of ADHD. And they're arguably very unhelpful. I mean, it's a... It takes a lot to come to terms with um, the fact that your child has um, a behavioural or learning difference and um, it's very unhelpful to um, you know, have these kind of accusations following you around, you and your family mm -hmm. around. Mm -hmm. So Rachel, there is compelling evidence that uh, food and nutrition do play a role in the development of ADD in that, um, in that proportion of the, the disorder that is not attributable to heritability. So can you describe a little bit what, um, uh, what, um, how food and nutrition do contribute to the development and expression of um, attention deficit hyperactivity disorder? Yeah, sure. Um, so nutrition plays a, a key role in everyone's uh, everyday um, behavior, mood, and actions, and um, is critical for brain function and there are specific nutrients if you like brain selective nutrients um, which can help facilitate um, brain function at a molecular level. Um, at the moment we're kind of living in um, a world of uh, mass food production um, in favor of processed foods um, which aren't helping um, us at all in terms of how we feel about ourselves and there seems to be um, from an evolutionary perspective our, the modern western diet seems to have evolved from a lower unsaturated to a high saturated fat ratio um, which is profoundly different to what we used to 100 years ago and um, so the western diet that the majority um, of us are consuming today is described as uh, one with a, a very high sodium content, a very low nutrient density in relation to the amount of minerals, vitamins and trace elements, antioxidants, fiber, phytochemicals, amino acids and unsaturated fatty acids and a high glycemic load due to the presence of refined uh, sugars and um, grain products. So we've also witnessed uh, the introduction of a prolific number of chemicals in our environment and an abundance of new constituents in foods. And these include, um, you know, like the global use of pesticides and fertilizers as opposed to crops developing and growing or animals grazing in a natural environment. Um, so in relation to ADHD, how, do these, uh, how does the Western diet um, affect children's behavior and learning? Um, there's been several studies showing a link between food additives and adverse child behavior, and that was demonstrated in the work of McCann um, and colleagues at the University of Southampton that showed that children who were given um, a drink containing these artificial additives had behavior um, very similar to that found in ADHD. So they kind of induced hyperactivity. And we also know um, from a, a recent meta-analysis which looked at data in 699 children across 10 uh, randomized placebo-controlled clinical trials 
that giving children with symptoms of ADHD um, omega-3 fatty acids for a period of time um, actually reduce their symptoms of um, ADHD. And there have been also a handful of studies showing that both children, adolescents and adults seem to have lower levels of omega-3 when um, blood samples have been taken and um, analyzed. So there certainly does seem um, to be enough evidence to show um, a link between um, low omega-3 fatty acids and also um, nutrition and behavior. There have been quite a few studies in the U.S. as well um, which have intervened in clinical studies by reducing sugar and uh, the result has been a decrease in sort of a delinquent, antisocial and violent behaviors as well. Mm -hmm. So, Rachel, what, what kinds of foods Specifically, so I'm imagining, you know, potato chips are a bad thing, and fish. Maybe it sounds like if you're talking about omega-3 fatty acids, maybe salmon um, or fish. What kinds of foods are bad, and what kinds of foods should parents really look for? Well, um, we know that the Western diet has been associated with um, a diagnosis of ADHD. Um, we can't say that that relationship was causal, um, but we also know that eating the wrong types of foods can affect brain function negatively. Um, children are le less able to focus and pay attention, which will actually impair their ability to access education um, within the classroom. Um, we know already that the Mediterranean diet um, can positively influence um, both physical and mental health. Um, and what I mean by the Mediterranean diet is lots of um, green leafy vegetables, nuts, olive oils, um, fish, um, vegetables, and fresh foods, so unprocessed foods. So if I, I would advise um, parents with children with ADHD to, to really focus on unprocessed foods and to try and prepare meals from scratch if possible with, you know, fresh ingredients and instead of um, allowing sort of um, unhealthy food choices to be made at school by their child, I would suggest preparing uh, a nutritious sort of packed lunch which they can eat at school so that the control over their diet is more rigorous and see if that makes a difference in their behavior over a period of time. So basically, um, a lot of people or parents don't actually pick up um, products and look at labels enough and we don't have enough food transparency in terms of food labeling so sometimes we really don't know what we're eating and I always say to parents well if you can't pronounce the ingredient put it back on the shelf um, because you know it's going to be sort of artificial chemicals and um, in particular high fructose corn syrup and um, soybean oil is thought to uh, negatively um, affect uh, the brain and brain function. Um, so mm -hmm. advising for those products to be minimized um, is, is a good idea. Um, but in some of the cereal bars that uh, you look at, I mean, some of them contain something in the region of 34 grams of uh, sugar. And the American mm -hmm. Heart Association recommend that children only have, you know, between three and four grams a day. So if you're giving a kid for breakfast a cereal bar which contains 34 grams, well, they're, you know, their behavior is going to be off the wall. Mm -hmm. 
Jessica, I, I wonder if you would talk a little bit about this this notion of self-control and self-monitoring in mm-hmm. in ADHD children and how how it is that music and the arts can impact on that. Yeah, so I um, one of the things that Rachel was talking about, which really um, really struck me is that one of the main major characteristics of um, ADHD can be essentially this ability to, um, to delay gratification. You know, that's something that she described where, for example, when she made, um, when she gave the description of a situation where a child is presented with the opportunity for doing chores and receiving $20 today or putting off the reward till the end of the month and um, increasing the reward, they almost always choose to receive the immediate gratification. And and Rachel really nicely described the implication of the brain's reward system and the role of dopamine in that behavior. Um, Another another angle that we... um, approach that kind of uh, decision-making in neuroscience is in understanding what's called executive functioning, which is sort of the brain's ability to, um, um, to act as a CEO and, and make decisions sort of from the top down and, and regulate, as she, she described, emotional regulation as well, but regulate our decision-making uh, and our behavior so that we're really able to um, evaluate um, the sort of a uh, cost-benefit analysis <laughs> and, and decide, well, what, how am I better off? Am I better off by doing what is immediately attractive or am I better off by waiting? And that, um, that in, actually involves a number of, um, of cognitive processes and, it's a, and those are all processes that we all experience every day. Um, so this children with or without ADHD have to um, resist those urges or decide, you know, when to act on them, uh, when to delay them. And as parents um, and as decision makers, we all have to do that. And so I'm very fascinated um, with um, the different ways that we understand those processes. And um, and Rachel makes the uh, helps us to understand how... Um, in, in a disorder like ADHD, there truly is um, uh, an inability to some degree to, to, to show that type of regulation. Um, and, and, uh, and how nutrition can be one of the things that can mediate that problem. And I, what in my work, what I sometimes look at are what are the other um, kinds of daily experiences that children have that can gradually over time encourage that type of behavior, that ability to self-regulate. And I think that um, music and the arts um, are something, a kind of activity uh, that um, enhances uh, sort of self-regulation. Because if you imagine, for example, a child who commits to practicing a piece of music or who commits to beginning a painting on a canvas, knowing that it's not an immediate result that is what's desired, but it's actually a long-term result that's desired. Um, they, they learn. There is some learning about um, the work that they need to do to come back to it every day and refine it. 
until they get to essentially what is really the um, ultimate goal. And so this is not meant to um, uh, serve as a replacement for any of the factors that Rachel was describing. But I do think generally about um, edu the educational system that we set up and the opportunities that we provide as parents um, and as decision makers um, in thinking about the range of experiences we offer children um, just in support of their um, healthy brain development. Rachel, I wonder if you would talk too about as we think about nutrition, um, what are the decision points for parents to make around medication versus um, nutrition and focus on nutrition and healthy eating and living? What are what are some of the difficult or what are some of the challenges of introducing medication for children with ADHD? Oh, I think it's um, a very difficult uh, decision for any parent to make as to whether or not they should um, give stimulant medication to their children. Um, stimulant medication should really be explored if all other options have been exhausted. Um, the first point of intervention really should be um, sort of a a cognitive behavioral intervention or some sort of uh, therapy and often um, that therapy is helpful when it's family therapy so when both parent and child are involved in that process um, you know parent um, kind of training on um, different strategies to use with their child because you know we're, we're dealing with a child who um, struggles you know to, to regulate as Jessica said their executive function so this involves their kind of everyday um, behavior and actions so there's a different uh, approach that kind of needs to be used in terms of parenting you have to um, you know perhaps adjust your existing strategies and modify them in order to help your child modify their behavior and a lot of people say that you know putting um very sort of structured uh, routine in place and also having lots of boundaries because inconsistent parenting actually sort of contributes to uh, further chaos um so you know so basically like reinforcing um behaviors um, by way of kind of consequences um, and rewards um, always helps. And it's always important to try and put these interventions in place um, when the child is as young as possible, and that kind of can help prevent sort of more oppositional and defiant behaviors from developing. But it's a huge challenge, and parents, uh, you know, need a lot of support um, to help manage their child's ADHD symptoms. Um, it's, it's, a, it's a big task, and I salute, you know, parents that do an absolutely amazing job, um, you know, um, intervening and uh, helping um, their children uh, try and improve their symptoms. But it's, it's a big task. Um, so in terms of whether or not to medicate, it's a personal decision. Um, we still need uh, more clinical research um, to assess the kind of long-term effects of stimulant medication on brain function. And I know that several um, clinical um, neuroimaging um, trials are, are underway at the moment. Um, so, yeah, I mean, stimulant medication can help children, but not all children. It's normally effective in about 60 
5% of all children, which, you know, of course leaves a proportion of children who are either non-responders or treatment resistant. Mm -hmm. And then you have to decide what to do with that uh, children. And also some children have, you know, horrific adverse effects. Um, and of course that has to be monitored as well. In some instances it can increase anxiety and um, has been known to be linked to self-harming and suicidal behavior as well as reduced appetite and can result in weight loss. So, you know, it, it doesn't come without side effects like all medication. Um, and the side effects do have to be monitored really um, carefully. Um, <clears throat> and also, um, you know, the dose is, is particularly important because, um, you know, recent research has suggested that um, the kind of black market use of stimulant medication among adolescents, which is um, a, which has been sort of revealed as uh, um, becoming an increasing occurrence, and so the, the basically the these doses that are being taken by children that shouldn't be having um, stimulant medication have um, found that um, there may be some harm, in fact, to the development of the prefrontal cortex in adolescence because this is the, the last part of the brain to develop and you know it kind of doesn't develop until early adulthood so I think more research is needed um, in terms of the long-term effects of medication but um, for many children it can be a safe and effective way um, an abundance of studies have shown normalizing effects of ADHD during sort of neuroimaging tasks they found that children on stimulant medication actually um, it normalizes their brain function to that of children without the disorder. So, you know, there's pros and cons and everything needs to be weighed up and evaluated um, before a, a decision is made. And then when, when the decision has been made, if, if the answer is to, to try similar medication, then, of course, it needs careful control and monitoring by the child's physician or clinician. So, Rachel, what is your theory about why the explosion? Why have we seen more cases of ADD and ADHD than we have than we have in previous years? I don't think that is necessarily the case. Although recently there was some news uh, that was published in the, the New York Times showing that the overprescribing of stimulant medication to toddlers. Um, was unveiled and obviously mm. caused great um, controversy um, because really children that young um, uh, uh, are still uh, naturally hyperactive and impulsive and inattentive and really, in mm -hmm. my uh, opinion, personal opinion, uh, far too young uh, to be prescribed stimulant medication. Um, I know that the FDA, I think, has um, approved Adderall for being described, I, I think, for children between three and four, but other medications um, are not to be prescribed um, until the child's at least six years of age, to the best of my knowledge. So I'm not sure necessarily that there is an overdiagnosis, but certainly the prescribing of um, medications like these to toddlers, I feel, feel needs much, much um, tighter regu regulation. And... Um, goes against really the, the the natural development of the toddler. Mm -hmm. Will you just talk a little bit as we wrap up about your personal experience as a mom, Rachel? Yeah, absolutely. So 
um, the reason I entered into this field um, myself was for personal reasons. Um, I have a son who is now uh, a young man, and um, it was very apparent when he was around the age of three that he was um, extremely hyperactive and, and very impulsive, although being very, very bright and um, almost gifted in some sense. You know, he used to ask me uh, how a light bulb worked at around the age of three, um, <laughs> which was pretty impressive, and he'd <laughs> learned to spell his name um, which, uh, out loud, um, which was an 11-letter name, which was uh, also fairly impressive. Um, yeah. So, yeah, so despite being very bright, he was very restless and very hyperactive, and um, the symptoms were very apparent at nursery. He was constantly receiving... Uh, negative attention and used to frequently get into trouble for very low-level disruptive behavior and this really kind of um, just changed my outlook on life I'd never at the time sort of heard of ADHD wasn't sure what it was all about and would spend hours you know tirelessly sort of searching the internet and reading as much literature as I, I could to kind of educate myself and I think children of ADHD uh, do become the greatest educators you know they're um, they're always gathering information and, you know, we want to know what can help. We want to, you know, we want to sort of uh, intervene and try the right things. And um, So, yeah, we often become our own greatest educators. And um, basically my experience with my son led me um, to uh, university. Um, in my sort of mid-20s, I decided to give up my career um, in real estate and basically dedicate um, a decade of my life to, to studying and to finding ways in which I could potentially make some small change um, in, in this uh, research field. Mm -hmm. you know, I was watching um, on the Oprah Winfrey Net Network on last Thursday, there was a show um, that Lisa Ling hosted Our America about ADHD. And she followed several children and their families over the course of the show. And one child um, was enrolled at a school that was specifically designated and created for children with ADHD. Um, and the way, the, the mindset of the educators and the founders of the school was one of how how can we really um, uh, lift the the incredible assets that the children bring with them um, and and embrace those assets and and they you know instead of labeling children ADHD they call them energetically sensitive because they are so sensitive to so much happening in the world. And, you know, I, I thought of that shift in mindset as, as I'm working um, in, with several out there on racial equity in schools and uh, combating the school-to-prison pipeline and ensuring that our children have, all of our children have access to equal educational opportunity and just the, the, the slight shift in thinking of children as bringing assets to school rather than bringing their their challenges and bringing their deficiencies that we have to correct, I think is a, is a very important shift to make. Uh, and I just I wonder about your thoughts on that. 
Yeah, no, I think that sounds absolutely amazing. And I'm a big advocate for change in the way that we teach, educate, and mentor children with ADHD and similar behavioral learning differences. Um, a lot of these children um, are at greater risk for educational failure and um, they're on the receiving end of a lot of uh, negative attention um, by their teachers for really for the symptoms that they you know struggle to regulate um, and I think we do have to be more creative in the way that we uh, communicate with these children um, constantly uh, telling them off for symptoms they can't control is uh, draining and exhausting for both the, the parent, uh, sorry, both for the teacher and the child. However, um, it's understandable that one child in a class of 30 can't, you know, persistently interrupt um, the classroom and, and um, teaching environment. So I do think um, in the main that children with ADHD are better in... Um, schools like the one you just mentioned um, in fact I'd love to go and visit that school it sounds fantastic <laughs> and I think these children are also incredibly creative um, and uh, in order for that potential to be nurtured and fulfilled um, they do need uh, a different style of interaction um, and one that will you know foster uh, their talents, because every child has a talent, every child is good at something, and, and it's about finding that talent and working with the child, um, you know, to, to, to reach their potential, and uh, we know that children that do well educationally um, tend to have better prospects in life all round, um, so it's really important that these children um, aren't persistently punished, if you like, um, in terms of, like, fixed-term permanent exclusions, um, which can, you know, have a, a knock-on effect on their self-esteem and feelings of self-worth and, you know, also puts them at risk of gravitation towards sort of more delinquent peer groups and socialization into perhaps sort of um, gang affiliation. And we already know that um, a disproportionate number of adults with ADHD are um, overrepresented in the prison systems. It's thought yeah. that over 50% of all incarcerated adults meet diagnostic criteria for ADHD, having not had um, these symptoms recognised or supported in childhood, which is an absolute failing of our, of our, you know, system, and uh, definitely needs much better investment. Given that ADHD costs the American government in the region of 77 billion every single year. Um, you know, a tiny proportion of the, those funds could be put into developing schools um, like the one you mentioned that will better uh, foster the, the, you know, the gifts that these children have rather than focus on, on the, the seemingly negative um, aspects of ADHD. Unfortunately, we have reached the end of the show. I'm so excited that Dr. Rachel Gao has been able to join us. She is a guest researcher at NIH, the National Institute of Health here in Bethesda, Maryland. And she's actually launching a new website at drrachelvgao.com. That's D-R-Rachel-V, as in Victor, Gao.com. And you can check that out. Check out her website for incredible resources on ADHD and nutrition. Thank you so much for being on the show, Dr. Gow. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. And Jessica Phillips-Silver, thank you so much for being a guest host today and for 
uh, the incredible insights that you always share. Thank you so much. Thank you, Allison. Audience, you are now officially certified know-it-alls about ADHD and nutrition. Remember to follow the show at on Block Talk Radio. Follow me at Allison R. Brown on Twitter. Find ABC on Facebook and read my blog at AllisonBrownConsulting.com. Thank you for listening. Have a wonderful week. <laughs>